Today's episode of GM Street is brought to you by Belvedere Vodka, produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries. Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka, part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition. Belvedere is made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, and no additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 2016, and 2017. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today, and remember to always drink responsibly. And now, GM Street. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Friday. It is February 1st. It is a new month. And it is also the Friday before Super Bowl 53. We are going to get into all of the big major storylines. But first, I have to say hello to the great Michael Lombardi, live from Las Vegas. How you doing, Lombardi? You surviving? Uh, I'm doing good. Millie and I, we made it here. Bad flight, but we got here just, you know, it was pretty good. Not bad. Uh, a little late. Got a, you know, a lot of things going on here. So it'll be fun. I mean, look, I... I I'd never seen at the airport last night was packed with people, and all they wanted to do was talk about the Super Bowl. They want to know who's going to win, the odds, the numbers. It's, uh, I mean, if you're not going to go to Atlanta, I think this is the next best place to be. Yeah, hoopla is probably the right term to describe uh, everything about Super Bowl 53. You got people out here in Los Angeles who are very excited. Of course, the Rams are in the Super Bowl. Uh, the fourth time that they've been able to do that as a franchise. Uh, they are one and two so far uh, in in their you know entire history of run. Obviously, we've got to talk about St. Louis Rams involved in that. But we're going to get to all the Super Bowl 53 stuff. We're going to break down everything. We're going to do props at the end of this podcast, do a little bit of fun because you are in Vegas. you got a big show tonight with Britt Musburger, so I'm going to get you out of here right on time. But first... We got to talk about uh, the star that he is, uh, the big story, the big headline uh, in the NFL. The Clapper, the Cowboys, unlikely to extend Coach Jason Garrett's contract. This is coming straight from the horse's mouth, and that horse, of course, is the horse uh, of Jerry Jones. And Jerry Jones goes a one and five point through the fan in Dallas, uh, and he was asked about the potential extension for Garrett. Uh, said that they were none of that. Uh, none of that is anything uh, that I would like to talk about in this forum in any way. So we won't go there, he says. And then and then he goes there and he says, I think I've made it clear how I feel about Jason in terms of where he is right now. He also told us, you know, a couple weeks ago that he would have four or five other jobs in the league if he, you know, was on the only open market to go do so. Uh, but the safety net is taken out from underneath Jason Garrett. We have seen this before. I think it was about 2013. He was going into the final year of his contract. They do great. He gets the extension. Uh, we're at that same uh, mark again in Jason Garrett, the Clapper's career. Lombardi, just looking at this at a blanket statement, does it, does this, is this a telltale sign that uh, if Jason Garrett, the Clapper, does not live up to the expectations next year and wins you know, 14 games like he did before, uh, is this the end? Is, is, is Princeton over with? Well, I, I don't know if Princeton's over with, obviously, if he wins. I mean, he hired Kellen Moore to be his offensive coordinator. I can't wait for that chess match next year when they play against these really... I mean, Kellen Moore can draw plays and he knows plays, but I mean, at some point, you got to have experience of setting up game plans. I mean... This is like absurd. I mean, I'm sure he's a smart guy and he knows plays, but it's different. And it takes some training to be a coordinator in the league and to replace Scott Lenahan with, with a guy who's never really done it before. And then John Kitna, who's obviously played in the league. It's going to be fascinating when they hit the first bump in the road and the Clappers got to come solve the problem. But I think the deeper issue here, Tate Frazier, is that, you know, you got to believe somewhere lurking in the background, somewhere in the hills is Sean Payton who has always made it very clear he loves Dallas, always made it very clear he has a great relationship with the Joneses. And, you know, he's a he's a Super Bowl almost coach this year. 
And you got to think that if there's an opportunity for him to get to Dallas in some way, somehow, he could. Now, nobody really knows how many years he has left on his deal. Would Mickey Loomis trade him? I mean, Mickey Loomis right now is is knees deep, knee deep into Anthony Davis trade shit. So I don't know if he could talk about trading Sean Payton. But the reality here is you got to always worry where Sean Payton is. We know Lincoln Riley is under contract, just signed a huge extension. And I think the underlying current here is Stephen Jones. Stephen Jones is, even though he's not out in front as Pop is, is the is the voice of reason within the Cowboy organization. And I think that reason was, hey, look, as much as we love Jason, where we, why do we have to extend him? Why should we just give him money, make him earn it? Yeah, 77-59 regular season record for the Clapper. Uh, three and three playoff record. It goes eight and eight, three straight years, 2011 to 2013. Uh, and then the year that they go 12 and four, I apologize, I said 14 before. 12 and four, uh, that was the big Des Bryant uh, overturn uh, on the fourth down play against the Packers in the wild card game. Uh, we all remember that. Then he gets the five-year, $30 million contract. He came out and said David Dunn, his agent, uh, has not re- has not been reached out to by the Dallas Cowboys. No, no one is talking to him about uh, you know furthering uh, discussions about a contract extension again with the Clappers. So that's something to keep an eye on. One other thing in Dallas I want to ask you about. I mean, they have three pivotal players uh, that they have to kind of figure out what they're going to do. Maybe they franchise Lawrence again. Uh, they sort of did a full faith clause where, you know, he expected to maybe get paid last year after what he was able to do. And they said, OK, we'll do it again. We're going to franchise you and see what happens. Uh, there's a potential that he gets franchised yet again. Uh, sort of maybe what we saw with Cousins a little bit there, where they just keep franchising him and see what happens as his value continues to climb. But they also have to worry about Ezekiel Elliott, who they got to figure out his, you know, extension. They have Dak Prescott, their quarterback, figure out his extension. And now he's going to be working with a new quarterback coach like you said, John Kitna. So this whole Dallas experience, there's going to be a lot of talk, right, all offseason about what's going on in Dallas, which is uh, JR would be happy, as they would would say back in the day. Yeah, but I think it starts with you got to prioritize where you want to go is, you know, who's the first guy you want to sign? Obviously, it's easy. You get Lawrence, you sign him to a franchise. I mean, one thing about Jerry, as Bill Parcells eloquently once said about Jerry Jones, he can talk a cat off the top of a fish truck. So he's going to get these contracts done because he's got a lot of cash. And he'll spend the money. It's figuring out where the cap's going to be two years from now when these numbers are all at the highest point. Where does he have and does he have enough money to build his team? I think if you're running the Cowboys today, you're not worried about the 2019 cap. You're worried about what does this team look like in 2021 and when you plug in Elliott at his number, when you plug Prescott at his number, when you plug in whomever, Amari Cooper at his number, who Elliott at his number, and then Lawrence at his number, how does it all fit? I think that's the real key issue there. And I could see why Jerry, when you break it down, Tate Frazier, it's pretty simple. I mean, in 14, he won 12 games, Jason Garrett. In 15, he won four. In 16, he mm-hmm. won 13. In 17, he won nine. In 18, he won 10. So, by just the pattern of past performance, you got to believe that he's due for a nine or an eight win season. And why extend him if he's going to have a bad year? He's never proven to be consistent putting back to back winning seasons together. And, you know, he's been the three in 14, 16, and 18. The odd year, the even years are his playoff years. The odds aren't very good. And we're entering a odd year. Yep. And uh, we always got to keep an eye on those odd years and we will. Uh, continue to keep an eye on all things in Dallas. And I know Jerry Jones will continue to talk to us and let us know what's going on at 105.3 The Fan as we move along uh, into the offseason. And then, you know, with Kellen Moore, John Kitten, there'll be a lot of, you know, eyeballs on that offense and sort of how Dak develops, uh, you know, next year within that offense with Kitna working with him. So we'll talk about all that. Uh, one more storyline before we move into the, all the Super Bowl stuff. Uh, quickly, Julius Peppers, 
fourth on the NFL's career sacks list. Uh, Carolina Panther, great, uh, no doubt a first ballot Hall, Hall of Famer at this point. 159 and a half career sacks that trails only Kevin Green, Reggie White, Bruce Smith, uh, 39 years old. Peppers done so much uh, in the world of football. I mean, he made me believe uh, that Carolina Carolina Tar Heels football could actually be something that was worth watching once upon a time, back to, dating back to the Peach Bowl. Guy who was a great basketball player as well that would come, you know, join the team in January as they got done with bowl season. He and Ronald Curry and add a little, you know, sauce to the team, add a little uh, edge to the team. It was always fun to watch that. It's always cool to see two athlete guys and uh, what he was able to do for a lot of people in that Roanoke Rapids, eastern part of North Carolina. You know, Julius Peppers is uh, considered a legend in North Carolina, to say the least. And uh, we wanted to give him a nice little hat tip as he waves goodbye to the game. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I thought, you know, when he went to Chicago, I didn't think he'd have much left. And then he came back to Carolina. I mean, the guy is an incredible player. He's an incredible athlete in terms of what he's been able to accomplish. I mean, I think, you know, clearly the guy's going to go in the Hall of Fame and based on what he's done. And I thought he's gotten better as his years went on. You know, typically those guys tend to fade down, but he hasn't. He, you know, he learned his technique, he learned his fundamentals. And even though he lacks some athletic skills as he got later in life, he was still pretty effective. So, I mean, what a great player, great pro. And you got to believe that David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers have something in store for him in terms of having a role within their organization. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Pepper's, you know, nominated for Walter Payton uh, NFL Man of the Year Award for what he did with Hurricane Florence. That's also something nice to point out uh, at the end of his career. And then, you know, most consecutive games right behind 176 consecutive games right behind the record set by Phil Rivers to uh, North Carolina guys. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of that Lombardi. And, uh, you know what, Julius Peppers should be did. Tate Frazier. You should be it, proud of it. I mean, you yeah. know, it's like today when I was on VEASAN, Vegas Stats and Information Network, I wore my Ocean City Beach Patrol shirt. You got to rock. You got to rock the home. You got to be proud of your neighborhood, you know? Yeah. You got to be proud of where you're from, and that's uh, and and where I'm from had to go up against uh, a team that is now in the Super Bowl for it feels like uh, so many times. I mean, twelve to be exact. Uh, the New England Patriots, uh, the Panthers were on a faithful side against them not too long ago, and we remember a kick by Adam Vinatieri. And ironically enough, seventeen years ago, two thousand two of February. We saw uh, the greatest show on turf, a team that was favored uh, by 14 points going into the, in that game, going up against a young Tom Brady. Uh, and they had Adam Vinatieri in their dreams and sort of in their run. Uh, that St. Louis Rams team with Marshall Falk and all, you know, Torrey Holt, all, all those guys from back in the day, uh, even Ricky Prohl, if you remember those guys. Um, but that was a moment in time 17 years ago. And now we're going to, you know, almost get back to the other side. Things come full circle in life. And now we get the Los Angeles Rams, uh, 33 years apart between the head coach of the Rams, Shaw McVay, a big fan of Gridiron Genius, and also uh, Bill Belichick, a man who wrote the forward for Gridiron Genius, and they're going to be going head-to-head in the Super Bowl. Uh, this is the Patriots' record 11th Super Bowl. This is the 10th under Robert Kraft. Uh, that ties Pittsburgh for the most, they just tied Pittsburgh for the most postseason wins. They have a chance to break that record in this game. And Lombardi, before we get into all the, you know, nuts and bolts of all this sort of stuff that's going on in the Super Bowl, uh, you know, all-time Super Bowl bursts and sort of just the legacies of those two guys, you wrote a story uh, that I was very interested in, and, you, and basically the the whole crux of the story is the importance of these Wednesday meetings that Bill Belichick holds, and, and you said Tom Brady sits in the front seat there and listens and takes notes and uh, is as attentive every single you know week as anybody else that's you know trying to earn a spot on the fifty three man roster, and just. From there, that I want to start from there, and then we'll build out the rest of the Super Bowl coverage. But looking at what it means to have Bill Belichick run those meetings and what those meetings are about, and you talked about the how, and so I want to ask you, like, how how has this team been able to find this success and get to this point again? I mean, again, this is a 17-year stretch, and we don't see that much dominance in football, and here we go heading into Super Bowl 53. 
Well, typically, uh, Tate Frazier, in most organizations, the head coach doesn't spend time uh, working on all three phases of the game. It's what I talked about. The subcontractor era in the NFL is here. It's, you know, Sean McVay's a subcontractor. He's a great coach, but... He doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't talk in the game in three dimensions. Belichick comes in that Wednesday meeting and, you know, he might be five minutes late. He might be on time and he starts it out by telling the, you know, by first of all, telling the Patriots what they have to do to win the game, what they have to do in the kicking game, what they have to do on offense, what they have to do on defense and how they have to play the game. And you being a basketball uh, fan and understanding that sport so well, you can appreciate it. It's a very basketballian approach to how he attacks it, and then he sets up the week's game plan, the week's practice plan to make sure that they're hitting those areas. And it's an era of football that we've lost now. We don't have complementary football. We don't play that. And Brady, my point of the article for the Athletic was simply this: like, look, Brady allows him to do this. Like we're in an era in the NBA, which, you know, we saw the Pro Bowl ratings on television. Anybody wants to talk about the NBA's taking over the NFL's full of shit because let's face it, when the Pro Bowl can get those kind of ratings, you know, the NBA wishes they could. So, you know, the NBA now, Anthony Davis is demanding a trade. Polingas doesn't want to resign. I mean, it's, it's all great to analyze the trades and all that crap. And players are forcing themselves to go to different teams and that's the players, right? The players are doing it. In the NFL, when you can get a player to buy into your system who's a superstar, that allows you to develop the culture. That allows you to build the team around them. I mean, I think Tom Thibodeau thought when he traded for Jimmy Butler, he was going to be able to build a system around Jimmy Butler and allow him. And what happened? Thibodeau's out of a job. Butler's in, Butler's in Philadelphia. So I think, to me, those Wednesday meetings are symbolic about Brady's ability to allow himself to be hard coached because Brelichek has no problem saying, look, we can't even throw a fucking out. Look how shitty this is, right? Mm-hmm. And he is just as much as he'll rip Malcolm Brown for being, you know, look, are you going to just stick on the fucking block all day long? You know, stuff like that. You know, never raises his voice, never really, you know, changes the ref- effect, the, the reflection of his voice. He's very monotoned about it, but it's very critical. I mean, I've walked out of many meetings, as I wrote about in the piece, where I've heard players say, man, if he's going to get on Brady like that, what's he going to do to me? That is the essence of what makes the Patriots culture so effective and how they can play complementary football. Because let's face it, Tate Frazier, in this game, the best team, the best team is not the Patriots. Mm -hmm. The the best collection of talent is the Rams. Now, who's the best team? That's going to be decided on Sunday at 620 Eastern time. But the Patriots, by defeating two of the best teams in the AFC back-to-back, certainly look like the best team, not necessarily the most talented team. And one note I have for you, I mean, talking about what the Patriots have done as far as this run, you know, sort of the joke that everyone makes is, you know, about the AFC East and the struggles of that division and the Patriots being able to dominate it, yada, yada, yada. But this season in particular, as they made this run to the, you know, Super Bowl 53, uh, this is based on DVOA. This is uh, from a guy, P.P. Rich Hill was what was uh, shared with me. But basically, they have beat the teams ranked one, two, and three in DVOA. And if you value DVOA, obviously, that is a shocking thing to you to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, The only team that did that before them was the 2005 Steelers. So that's something to keep an eye on. And we talked about Bill Cowher a little bit uh, on the last podcast, ironically enough, 
Uh, looking at Brady, so Brady, just just some sort of, uh, you know, the history behind this. Brady will set the record uh, for most Super Bowl wins if they win this game with six. Uh, right now he's tied with the great Charles Haley, uh, who also has five. At this point, this is Brady's ninth Super Bowl. Uh, that is the most Super Bowl appearances by any one player. Bill Belichick uh, has a chance to tie, to tie uh, you know, Curly Lambeau uh, with six championships. No coach has more uh, if they were to win this game. And you just kind of look at the overall experience of these two guys this situation and what is the value of that experience going into this game I mean I saw the Rams have four guys who have played in a Super Bowl before the Patriots have 36 guys who played in a Super Bowl before so matching it up uh, as far as you know the Jimmys and Joes and uh, you may have more talent on one side with the Rams and they have had a better season and they acquired all this talent in the offseason to make this run and but the Patriots have all the experience so what does that mean going into Super Bowl week is it more about how you handle the preparation or is it more of just like get once you get into the game you know you kind of have your, your legs underneath you and, and you understand what's going on you don't get too high too low too early uh how much value is there in that with this Patriots team you know I think there's a some I mean look when you win on the road in New Orleans I mean at that crowd and that atmosphere and that and that volume of game I think you're pretty well battle tested I mean look Jared Goff played much better in the second half of the New Orleans game I think he was 13 for 20 in the second half 65 percent completions he had almost 180 yards you know and and he probably had his best half of playoff football in the second half so I think that that helps and certainly the experience of being in the game can help the Patriots but all that stuff really doesn't matter once the game starts because, look, the Patriots have beaten two good teams into coming into the playoffs. They're playing their best football. That's what really matters. You go back and look at some of these other Super Bowl teams, They even the 07 team that was undefeated was not playing their best football. They struggled in both those playoff games. I mean, they won. They beat Jack. I mean, they won the games, but it wasn't like as dominating as everybody thought. These past two games, Tate Frazier, against a really good Los Angeles Charger team that could have been the number one seed easily, mm-hmm. and the Kansas City Chiefs that were the number one seed. I mean, these are the two best teams in the AFC. Forget the seedings, right? They beat them. They were up 49-7 to at the half against the, both these two teams combined. So... I think it's really remarkable how they're able to how they're playing and peaking at the right time. And I just don't think experience is going to matter. I think how you play matters more. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break. Academy Award winning screenwriter and playwright Aaron Sorkin was on the Bill Simmons podcast last week discussing his long career in great movies and shows, including The West Wing, The Newsroom, and The Social Network. He has a new play on Broadway, an adaptation of Harper Lee's Pulitzer Prize winning To Kill a Mockingbird, which was recently voted America's best love novel of all time. Killing Mockingbird has become one of the most popular and toughest tickets to get on Broadway. It has set the record as the highest-grossing American play in Broadway history. It also has been selected as critics' pick by the New York Times and has been called one of the greatest plays in history by NPR. Two-time Emmy Award winner Jeff Daniels of the newsroom Godless stars live on stage as Atticus Finch. And this is uh, from Rolling Stone, coming from Peter Travers himself. Unforgettable and unmissable all rise for the miracle that is Mockingbird. And while To Killer Mockingbird is sold out for the next several months, tickets would make a fantastic Valentine's Day gift when purchased for available performances this coming summer or fall. Tickets are available directly through telecharge.com or the show's website, To Kill a Mockingbird Broadway.com. Again, that's To Kill a Mockingbird Broadway. We're also brought to you by the new Showtime original comedy series Black Monday from executive producers Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. It's 1986 Wall Street. 
bad fashion, big hair, and bigger egos abound. The old boys club has all the power until an unruly group of underdog traders decide it's their turn to be on top and accidentally cause the biggest stock market crash in history. Starring Don Cheeto, Andrew Rannells, and Regina Hall, Black Monday is now streaming only on Showtime. To try a free month of Showtime, go to Showtime.com and enter code RINGER. This offer is for first-time subscribers only and expires February 24th. Back to GM Street. I kind of want to just talk about some of the big picture matchups as we head into this game. We got the both the California quarterbacks. We got Tom Brady on one side. We got Jared Goff on one side. Jared Goff said he never even remembered watching the 2002 uh, Super Bowl matchup that I mentioned before between the Rams and the Patriots. He's not even sure if he watched the game. And then you got Tom Brady, who is probably watching that game right now, studying to see if possibly Sean McVay would take stuff from that team and try to use it in this Super Bowl because he's that paranoid. So that's sort of the difference in dichotomy between those two guys that are leaving their team. But that is what it is. But the the big storyline, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, and it's what Ndamukong Sue has been talking about. It's sort of been the big storyline headed in this game is uh, middle pressure against Tom Brady, being able to cause chaos in his face, basically being able to get up, not from the edge, but being able to get inside uh, with him and Donald. And obviously we talk about, you know, the defensive player of the year, Aaron Donald, I mean, 20 and a half sacks this season. Uh, his career high before that, I think was 11 sacks. So, I mean, he, he's been playing on a whole other level. And the offensive line on the other side for the Patriots, I mean, they've been playing at a, I mean, astounding level. I mean, better than a lot of people thought that this offensive line could play. Uh, and they've been able to find some continuity there and be able to keep Brady upright. So that is sort of the matchup when you look at uh, as far as how this t- how this game is going to play out. You get third run blocking, first and pass blocking for the Pats offensive line. But then you got supreme talent in Aaron Donald and Dominick Sue and guys that g- they're going to rotate on the inside for the Rams. So if, if you put those <laughs> two things together, I mean, what what is what what is going to give in this game? What is going to be is, is that a cat and mouse game where you know Tom Brady is making adjustments at the line. Same with the with Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue. I mean, is that where we need to be watching? Is that where our eyes need to be to see who's going to win this football game? So when you play an under front, which the Rams do, they play an under front. When you play an under front, you can put by where you line up the formation, you can you can predetermine where the under is going to be. Mm-hmm. And Wade Phillips runs under defense pretty much exclusively. So if if you want to put if you want Shaq Mason blocking Donald, you can play the under. You can move him to a side by where you line up the tight end and what you do. So I'm sure there'll be some of that. There'll be some ways that they formation to throw the football or formation to run the football based on where they think that front's going to line up. That's a critical component of the game. How you formation an under front will give you an opportunity to line it up. So that's one. Two, I think they're going to have different kind of ways to help Aaron Donald. You know, they're going to inside chip him. They're going to slide the center. But what Wade has done a lot of is put Sue into that one gap. So when you play an under front, you have a one and a three. The one ga- the one is the shoulder of the guard, uh, the shoulder of the center, and the three is the shoulder of the guard, either side. And so Andrews is going to have to play really effectively in this game. And sometimes they'll put, they'll put Sue down and stunt him to where he becomes a zero off of his movement. And they're going to have to utilize some of that. And I'm sure the Patriots have played weight enough to know how he moves his front, what he likes to do. But to me, I think the biggest question in this game, and I'm sure Romo is going to nail this perfectly, is when the Patriots are in 21 personnel, which is two backs, one tight end. What does Wade do to that? Wade typically will always play nickel because that's what he's played all year. I think they've played against 14 to 20-some snaps against two backs out in the field, not in short yardage. Take those short yardage plays out. So how he plays base 
21 personnel is going to be the key to the game. If he comes out and plays his nickel, the Patriots will be able to run the football. They'll throw it, but they'll run it more. If he comes out and plays his base defense against two backs in the backfield, then that's when Brady is going to spread them out. And Brady's going to take Devlin and use him as a decoy and take and take Gronk and move him around and basically shift this over and under front over this under front and get it to where he wants to be able to throw the ball and get the ball out quick. So I think they're going to have remedies for it. I think if the Rams win this game, I think it's going to be because Donald is the MVP because he's been a disruptive force. But look, the two best, the three best players for the Patriots, or let's say the five best players on the Patriots in these two playoff games, have been the five offensive linemen from Cannon to Shaq Mason to David Andrews to Joe Tooney to Trent Brown. Those five guys have played better than anybody on the team, including Brady. So that's going to be the essence of the game. And I think if the if the Rams want to do it, they may have to change their front a little bit so they can't always get locked into what they want to do. Is there a world in which where, I mean, the Patriots have struggled in the first quarters of Super Bowls. I mean, I think uh, last year they made it, they had a field goal in the first quarter, and that was the first time that they had under Bill Belichick scored in the first quarter. I mean, there's just sort of like everything throughout the game, Bill Belichick is not really going to show his hand early. He's going to figure out what you're doing, and then he's going to, you know, adjust and, uh, and do things accordingly. It's sort of been the uh, protocol for all things Bill Belichick. But is there a chance that he maybe deviates from that plan and tries to go early and tries to get him? Because, I mean, the Rams are an offensive team. They're 13-3 and on the season. I mean, they were the second seed in the NFC. They were the team that we were all talking about with this amazing offense with Todd Gurley. And we know Gurley's dealing with a little bit. He says he's not injured, but we know he's not necessarily at 100%, but they've added C.J. Anderson. But is there a chance that Bill Belichick going into this game, knowing that they have this defense with all these stars, with Tlaib, with Sue, and all these sort of guys on the back, Roby Coleman, you know, who's making the comments about Brady, and then, then backtracking. Is, does, does he try to get that coin toss first? He said he, the philosophy changes every game. I saw him in his press conference say that. But is there a chance he does try to go you know, from the jump, hey, Tom, we need to get points on the board because this team can score. They've outscored two teams 49-7 to in the first half. They've dominated two teams in the first half. Two mm-hmm. of the best teams in the AFC, they've dominated them in the first half. That first drive in Kansas City was a masterpiece. I mean, it converted third downs. The first drive against the the Chargers had, a, had three or four third downs in it. They didn't play their typical Canadian football. And yet they were able to convert. They didn't have very many third downs after that in the first half. So for me, I think that is the essence of the game. I think, look, the, the key component of the game to stopping the Rams is you can stop their running game, but they'll still play action. You you can stop their their play action game, they'll run the ball. But what, what drives the Rams crazy is, and nobody believes this because it, it's, it goes – is when the Rams are forced to have to make this a drop-back pass game. The Mm -hmm. Rams don't have very many drop-back passes in their arsenal. In fact, it's really kind of interesting. When the Rams are in third or ten or more, they converted a worse rate than the New York Jets did this year. Believe Mm -hmm. that or not, okay? Third and ten or more, the Jets converted more than the Rams did. But the Rams are rarely in third and ten. They're the the second-best team in converting first downs and two downs, right? They've they've had a, they only had 191 third downs all year, which is really small, and they've been very good. But most of those are third and manageable. The challenge for Belichick in this game is how is he going to create a way to where he can get negative one negative play a drive if he can get him into a second and twenty, 
If he can get him into a, a, a third and 15, he's got a chance to get the punt the, for them to punt the ball. And that comes with pressuring on early downs. And when they're in those tight formations and they're trying to really cramp it in, you've got to be calculating with your blitz package because we all know they've got a great play action pass, but they've got to force some kind of negative play to force the ball back on the Rams to have to throw drop back passes. If they do that, they'll win the game. Josh McDaniel said that the Patriots have a room at the stadium for coaches to sleep with float tanks that simulate four to five hours of sleep in 40 minutes. Oh, yeah, Tate Fraser. They had it there when I was there. I mean, I used to go back there every, I'm taking that. I mean, you used to go back there and you used to get, you know, like if, like I read, when I read the book by Bill, but one of the greatest, one of the five books I would take with me if I was on a desert island, stuck somewhere, one of them would be David Marinus's book, not, not the book about Lombardi. I love that book when pride still mattered, but what Marinus's book, uh, first in his class. It's about Bill Clinton. And he talked about mm. Clinton's love of taking like these 15 minute naps because he didn't sleep very well. And really, you'd be so surprised at what your body can do after it takes a 15 to 20 minute nap. Nothing more. Like you can't go put your pajamas on and go in there and tuck in for three hours. You know, like you can't do that. But like a quick 10, 15 minute nap, it revitalizes you. And that room was being used. Coaches, you know, you kind of had your own little section back there where you could go in, take a nap. It's, it's, it's just classic Belichick. I mean, it's smart smart it's it's like you get tired there's no sense in going home you want to be able to do it and that's what you do and and i think they've been successful at it yeah there's no days off uh that is uh that is quite the well there is no I, days off i mean yeah and the worst <laughs> thing you can do is like you're tired you come back from one of those long trips you know they play so many night games right so you mm-hmm. know you play a monday night game you get back into the office it's tuesday morning at nine o'clock you got to get ready for the next game you got no time to really go home and have coffee with Millie and, you know, talk about the day and all that. You got to You got to get your shit going. You can't go home and play with Dominic and Leo with the grandkids. Oh, how are you doing today? You know, no, no. It's like the next game. Yeah. And it uh, and it keeps pushing. And a guy that keeps uh, keeps it going, Wade Phillips. I want to talk about this Rams defense a little bit. Uh, and just far as uh, some of those matchups and some of the chances that they will take, because you talked about you know how he sets things up a little bit. But one of the relationships that's been discussed this week, you know, <laughs> there was a picture of Wade Phillips. I don't know if you saw this. He's in a full cowboy outfit as they was uh, as they were getting on the plane to head to Atlanta. Uh, and I don't know if that was in jest or what it was, but I mean, it was a nice, nice, nice get up. Uh, and Akeem Delib said that they were dripping together uh, and that they were dripping back in Denver together. Together, um, and that they have a great relationship with each other. But Akeem Talib is a guy that will take chances, maybe jump around, something like that. If you're Wade Phillips, do you go to some of those guys that, I mean, I mean, obviously they made the big trades, they made the big moves, the big signings to get Talib, Peters, these guys, you bring them in. Is there something Is there something you're trying to draw up to maybe bait you know, Brady into a throw, one of those dink and dunk plays, and, and, and try to get you know one of those Terry Porter pick sixes that we've seen before the Super Bowl, one of those big game-changing plays, as they like to call it. Uh, do you do that with one of those star players if you're a Wade Phillips, in the same way that Bill Belichick may go to Julian Edelman and say the same thing on offense, you know, or go to Cordell or Patterson and say, we need something on special teams this week? I think Wade will pack the middle of the field, Tate Frazier. I think he's played Brady enough to know i got to pack the middle of the field, just like what Sue said about getting into Brady in the paint. He's got to pack the middle of the field, and if he can pack the middle of the field, then, you know, force Brady to throw the ball in the outside quadrant of the field, and let's see what he does from there. If Brady can do that, then I'm sure Wade will say, okay, fine. You know, we're, we're okay there. If he can do it, you know, it, that's going to be okay. But I don't know if the, I don't know if the, if, if they can do that as effectively, you know, uh, and, and, you know, because the Patriots know going into this game, the Rams generate the highest pressure from their interior. They, they're like 16.6%. Mm-hmm. But the Patriots allow, allow the, four, the fourth lowest pressure rate from inside and have only allowed four sacks from the inside. So 
he's more effective from pressure from the edge than the interior. Brady versus edge pressure is 52.3 completions, completion, eight yards of attempt. Interior pressure, we all know, it's 5.7 yards attempt. So that's the game, and I think that's where Belichick's going to have his team prepare, and Wade's going to have to figure out his team and what he can do. The pressure inside and pack the middle of the field against the pass rush. Yeah, Tom Brady, this is his passer rating with edge pressure, 118.7, interior pressure, 63.1. So there is a uh, distinct difference there between those two things. And the Rams defense, obviously, like you said, leads the NFL in interior pressure rate, 16.6%. So that's something uh, really to keep an eye on. Before we move on, let's take a quick break. Clean up your remote control clutter in time for the Super Bowl with Control Center by Cabo. Plug in your streamer, sound system, cable, or satellite, even your game console, and Control Center does it all. Control Center simplifies your home theater so you can control everything connected to your TV with one easy-to-use remote with voice control. Don't fumble with different remotes or run out the clock with messy search results. Just say what you want to watch and Control Center will take you straight there. One universal voice remote controls it all, so all you need to do is say watch any given Sunday and Control Center by Cavo handles the rest. Be the MVP of your Super Bowl party with Control Center so you can finally get off AV duty and bring the joy back to watching TV. Shop now just in time for Super Bowl Sunday and get 40% off Control Center with promo code NFL. That's $59.95. 40% off regular pricing of $99.95. Control Center is available at CAAVO.com and at Best Buy. Control Center by Cavo, one remote that does it all. Back to GM Street. I want to ask you about uh, just sort of the star of the show as far as the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, Todd Gurley is, you know, everything that that Rams offense was. We know that he is a catcher. We know that he is a runner. We know that he is the focal point of the offense and therefore opens up that play action game. But he has not been the Todd Gurley that we, you know, maybe have seen in, you know, week 11 uh, as we got into the Super Bowl, especially as we've been through the playoffs and everything. Heading into this game, I mean, what is the... Is there something that you were expecting to see from Todd that will be different, or will we see more of a C.J. Anderson-led? Where C.J. Anderson has almost become a Nick Foles in this situation, you know, where he has become the hero out of nowhere, almost, uh, where they've relied on him to be the guy to kind of set up that run game for the Rams. I mean, do you expect Gurley, or do you expect Bill Belichick to be game planning for Gurley to be the Gurley that we've seen before and be the focal point of this offense, or is it we're we're dealing with the team we've seen so far in the playoffs? No, I think he knows that, look, Gurley had 59 catches for the season. He averaged uh, slightly under 10 yards a catch in that game. We know mm-hmm. that Gurley is is a huge player in the in the passing game. He's got four touchdowns. Now, we know that hasn't happened, but the matchup that has to worry Belichick and keep him up at night has got to be Gurley in the passing game. Not not screens, you know, not, not, not the Dallas Cowboy run game, pass game for the running back. I'm talking about when he Wheel runs routes. under routes. Yeah, yeah, when he's out there and he's got and you got to go and you got to declare the coverage and you got to show Sean Payton, Sean McVay what you're doing and and I think that's becomes the problem. And that's why I think Gurley I think Gurley will be the Gurley of old. I think you'll see Gurley at at you know, he had 17 touchdowns rushing. I think this is going to be Gurley. You know, look, we know this. We've talked about it on GM Street many times. When when Gurley touches the ball in the run game 17 times or more, the Ram, that means the Rams win. We know this. And I do think that he will in this game. Now, can the Patriots still win when he does it? I still believe that because the numbers have been skewed. But the reality of it is, is I expect Gurley to be the Gurley of old. Vegas likes Todd. 
uh, to score a touchdown. I mean, the, I think the prop of that was like, will Todd Gurley score a touchdown? Yes, minus 40, no, plus 120. So that's something to talk about. Another player on the Rams that was the superstar that led them uh, to get to the Super Bowl with a big kick, obviously, Greg the Leg, 57-yarder, to get him there. He's dealing with a foot injury. So going into this game as well, I mean, that could be a major storyline, right? I mean, if we have a big kick in this game where, you know, you need to make a 57-yarder, if Greg the Leg is not uh, 100%, you know, the Rams don't have that calling card to, uh, to, you know, Jared Goff has to get them in better position, right? I mean, that's something to keep an eye on as well. There's no doubt, but I, I, I think we'll know this in pregame. I think if there was any any doubt, any doubt whatsoever that Greg the leg wasn't going to be 100%, you'd see another kicker in there. You can't, you can't take that chance. It's the biggest game of the year. You can't take that chance. So I, I, don't think there's, I don't think there's any doubt he's going to be okay. Any more just sort of, you know, baseline, big, big picture things to watch in this game? Because, I mean, as, as I'm sort of going through, are you looking at matchups on both sides of the football? Uh, you know, we we know the storylines and we know who Tom Brady's going to rely on as far as his offensive arsenal. He, you know, Julian Edelman, I think, is 46 catches away from uh, Jerry Rice's postseason record at this point of receptions, um, which is, you know, to say how amazing Jerry Rice is, but also to say Julian Edelman is number number two on that list and a guy who has been in a lot of big time moments and has made some of the most unbelievable you know, that one catch, the circus catch against the Falcons where the ball bounced all over the place, somehow didn't hit the ground, uh, comes to mind. It was his David Tyree moment, to say the least. Um, so is, is there something there that, you know, maybe Gronkowski, is there a matchup misplacement with the Pats going up against his defense that, you know, something, maybe we're going to stack the box and Devlin and and these guys are going to try to run it down their, their throats like we sort of saw with the Chargers before? Is that something that, you know, the Patriots will rely on? Because, again, that offensive line has been playing at such a premier level. Yeah, and I'm going to flip it. I think the key to this game is going to be nobody talks about the Patriots defensive line. Nobody talks about it at all. They mm-hmm. It's almost like an afterthought because, look, Trey Flowers is going to line up on Austin Blight. Both these guards for the Rams, the Rams run their offense the way they run it because they protect in their offensive line. And that's not a knock on Aaron Cromer. He does a great job. But their offensive line is weak. And, and I think what you'll see the Patriots is they'll power. They're going to power back. Whitworth at left tackle. They're going to really put Blythe. Blythe is going to have to block Flowers one-on-one. They're going to power the right tackle back. They're going to squeeze this pocket. It's going to be a controlled pass rush, how they handle it, what they do. And I think the Rams offensive line is up for the biggest challenge, even though there's no sexy names on the on the Patriots defensive front. Malcolm Brown, Lawrence guy, none of those guys, anybody thinks, oh my God, we got to block these guys. It's going to be hard. Just ask the Kansas City Chiefs what they thought of the Patriots offensive line or ask the New England or ask the Los Angeles Chargers what they thought of the Patriots defensive line after the game because that's the essence of this game. And if they're able to do that, if they're able to push this pocket around and move it back and force Goff to get hit, because we know this, we know the Rams are undefeated when Jared Goff is, is pressured less than 20% of the time. If you don't put pressure on Goff, the Rams are going to win. And when he mm-hmm. has... When he has his average time to throw the ball is 2.93 seconds. It's the fifth lowest amongst 33 qualified quarterbacks. When he, all three of all 13 of Goff's interceptions this season have come on extended pass plays, okay? And when the defense has put pressure in his face, I mean, that's just the reality of it. That's who he is. And I think that that's going to be the key to the game. Can the Patriots, can. Trey Flowers, Ken Lawrence Guy, Ken, all these deep, Malcolm Brown, can they put pressure inside and win? 
and how they handle it. Adam Butler's a key component. Adrian Claiborne's another guy. They've got to win upside. Even John Simon, they got to power back the right tackle. They got to power back the left tackle, and they got to win inside. That's the game. And how important? I mean, you talked about uh, we've talked about how important continuity is on an offensive line. And I mean, if you watch the Eagles, you can see how much that may affect the team without having some guys that you can usually rely on the line for you. But uh, since you know last season, uh, they've pretty much had the same starting five guys on the offensive line. Brown and Blythe, I think, switched out, but pretty much the same five guys have been lined up there for the Rams, and it's led by Whitworth. I mean, Whitworth is the, the value that he adds to Jared Goff and being able to, you know, sort of, he's almost like a second quarterback there on the field as far as pointing things out and, and sort of setting things up for the offensive line and sort of took it personal uh, heading into the Cowboys game, I think. Uh, I remember him saying something in the media about, you know, no one respecting the Rams' offensive line. So uh, that will be a chess match, to say the least, because these guys know each other. They have a great uh, rapport with one another. They know how to handle uh, especially a good you know defensive line we saw it against the Cowboys and you know Jared Goff has a nice front in front of him but if you know Claiborne and those guys start to make some noise flowers and get inside and ruffle the feathers of Goff again he's a 24 year old guy uh, in a big stage in a big moment Sean McVay is a young head coach in this big game big moment like you said I mean it could be one of those moments where if they get on top of them and it has to be a game where they have to throw themselves out of it and drop back uh, no play action is working then uh, it could be a situation where the Patriots look uh even even more superb than we ever thought they could uh, on the defensive side of the football. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, one one storyline Lombardi that I've seen I've seen thrown around is the uh, John Perry storyline. Have you seen this? No. Uh, so John Perry, he has called a, a bunch of games, obviously as a as an official in the league, but he is seven and zero calling Rams football games. Um, and so a lot of people heading into this game are, are pointing this out. Uh, the Patriots are 9-5 and five, uh, in games refereed by John Perry. Uh, Rams, like I said, 7-0. and oh. So people are pointing to uh, the chance that John Perry as an official could have a major impact in this game. And uh, we've seen officials have major impacts. I brought up the Des catch earlier. We obviously know how the Saints feel about that. Um, but is there is there any world in which, right, on this big stage where we have all you know these sponsors, everyone's there, Goodell's there, everyone's watching, is there any chance that any referee could have any real pull in a game of this magnitude from your vantage point? You know, I think that's a great question, Tate Frazier. I think the call last, non-call last week, it's going to be interesting to see how this game's called. You know, we know this, whether the league wants to admit it or not, is the officials have let them play in the playoffs. We've seen it, right? And mm-hmm. we're not, a, a, nobody's yep. complaining about it, right? But we've seen it. And uh, I just think, to me, if if they let them continue to play, it favors the Patriots because the Patriots are going to beat the shit out of the Rams receivers. That's going to be their goal. If they <laughs> if they call it nitpicking game, if they do, I think it benefits the Rams. And I think the over is going to be the play there. That's why in-game betting, I think, is really going to be critical. And that's why... Have have Romo and, and and hello friends James Nance on, but you know Veasan's uh, channel too. Where I'm going to be doing in game betting, talking about the game because I think how this game's called is really going to determine where we're headed. And I think that that's that's a key component. What John Perry? Now listen, we know last week that the Rams never won a game. I think with uh, uh, what's his face is the official, and they broke that streak. Yeah. And so you know mm-hmm. maybe streaks are meant to be broken. I don't know. I think everything's tossed upside down. 
Well, you just set it up. We got to talk about, uh, you know, the Super Bowl 53 props, right? I mean, we got all the betting. Uh, This is the time of the year when everyone is talking about. I think they already had $2 million in on tickets uh, for the Super Bowl last time I looked. I mean, probably even more than that at this point. Uh, But uh, just we'll start with the baseline of this. We got the Patriots Ram. We got the game line. Uh, Patriots minus 40 in this one, favored by two and a half in this game. Rams plus 120 uh, in this situation. Overrunner set at 56 and a half. Just baseline looking at that, uh, Lombardi, does that sound about right? Do you feel like the Patriots should be favored about two and a half in this game? Or are you surprised that the Patriots are favored in this game? I'm actually surprised the Patriots are favored. I thought, you know, if this was a Mitch Moss on VEASAN said that if this game was played in the regular season, the the, the Rams would be a three-point favor, which I agree. I think, uh, to me, I like the Patriots at the two and a half number. Uh, My my pick is I I believe the Patriots will win 28-24. Uh, that's just my pick. I mean, I, I like it. I think at that three number, that's the gray area. It takes it away. It's the push. But, uh, you know, I think the under is really more in play for me than anything because I think that both defenses will play better in big games. We see it all the time. Now, that being said, I think a lot of it's going to depend on uh, on Parry and how he calls the game. Yeah. Here's one of my favorite props uh, I got to ask you about. Will there be a safety in this game? Uh, yes is plus 625. No minus 1,000. Uh, this is an interesting one. I do feel like based on all the special teams talk, I mean, they, Bill Belichick continues to bring up special teams in all of his little press junkets leading up into the, to the Super Bowl game. And obviously that field position is something he you know primarily uh, focuses on heading into a week a lot of the times. And if you get Goff in one of those, you know, you pin Goff down at the two-yard line and, and you sort of just you know send a blitz maybe from the corner and see what happens uh is there a chance we see a safety in this game maybe you know one of these teams taking a chance maybe sue and donald get up in the middle of brady and he has to take a fall and and take two points away or something like that is that is that something you could see happening i think both teams don't shy away from throwing it when they're backed up but i think again because Mm -hmm. the nature of the game you got to be real careful and you got to be make sure that you have enough room to throw it and you better throw it quick i don't see a safety as a big play here but i i think that you know look I think that, like you said about special teams, I think special teams are going to play a huge factor in this game. I don't think, I don't see how one team's going to be able to take advantage of the other in the kicking game because both are really well coached. As I'm sort of running down these props, I mean, I know you've been doing all these betting shows. Is there any sort of prop that came out to you? I love the Gronk over three and a half catches. I think Gronk's going to have a big game. Mm. I love James White rushing over three and a half rushing attempts. And I think Todd Gurley's going to catch more than three passes in the game. I really do. So that's kind of what I see. I see it, you know, look, I think most people think the Rams play man-to-man. They don't. They play a lot of zone. So I think there's going to be ample opportunity for Gronk in this game. I think by playing zone, I think there'll be ample opportunity to run the ball for James White. So we'll see how that goes. And I do think Gurley's going to have to be the Gurley. I think if the Patriots don't play well, it's because they can't really match on Gurley, just like they couldn't match on Tyreek Hill if they would have put Tyreek Hill in the backfield. Yeah, it's all about matchups. And if uh, Gurley gets going, then we know what that does to that Rams offense and how different they look when they have Todd Gurley at 100%. Another one, will there be a defensive or special teams touchdown? Sort of keep it in the special teams vein. But Cordero Patterson, uh, you know, kick return, something like that seems uh, within the realm of possibility in this game. And then maybe uh, on the other end, I mean, the Rams have you know the speed on their side of the football. Maybe Cooks or someone back there on a punt we could see uh, potentially running something bad. But yes, is plus 200, no, minus 250. Uh, defensive special teams touchdown. We, we've seen some great moments, and those have been some, you know, sometimes the change momentum in a Super Bowl when you have one of those big plays. Yeah, no doubt. I think, you know, I, I think Patterson's such a load to tackle. I think he's such a problem. I'm not sure how, you know, that's uh, they're going to handle him. 
uh, you know, and the Rams are so dangerous. I mean, Hecker, Hecker's thrown four passes. He's run the ball one time. I could even see them having a having a having like a you know a Philly special play where they fake it to the up back and he throws it as opposed to Hecker. You know, I think you got to be prepared for everything when it comes to John Fossil and the Rams. So, and I'm sure Belichick and Joe Judge, the special teams coordinator for the Patriots, are prepared for all of it. I'm sure they are as well. Uh, before we uh, get out of here and, and wrap this whole thing up, I do have to point out Tony Romo. They were asking him uh, who's, who would be calling the game. They were asking him about uh, sort of his prediction for the game. And he said, I think that the score will be 24 to 28. And I think the team that has the ball to go down the score will not score. Um, which, you know, a lot of people read between the lines to say maybe the Rams had the ball in that situation and aren't able to figure it out. Or then other people on the other side are like, well, maybe he's alluding to Tom Brady will finally not be able to be terrific Tom in the primetime moment. Who knows how you read that? But I do think it is. Uh, I think it's a nice prediction and it's a very open ended prediction. So as I ask you, uh, Lombardi, for your big prediction for Super Bowl 53, are you in the same lane, line of thinking as Tony Romo to think that it will be a close game, four point game, something like that, where we have a chance for a drive to win the game? And maybe they come through, maybe they come up short. But do you see it as a tight contest uh, overall between these two teams? I do, but I, I I think the Patriots will run the clock out. I think the Patriots win 28-24. I think the Patriots will have – I think there's two things you got to analyze. They control the game and who's in the score. And the Patriots, even though they were in the lead last year against the Eagles in the fourth quarter, they never were in control of the game. I think they can get control of this game with their offense, and we'll see. I think it's going to be critical you know, that they do that because that's the, that's the only way you're going to beat the Rams. You're not going to beat the Rams in a shootout. I mean, I think the Chiefs tried to do that. It didn't work for them. you got to beat the Rams and get in control of the game. Yes, there are just so many storylines headed in this game. You know, we're talking about uh, the future of people's careers. You know, if Gronkowski is going to play McCourty, all these sort of guys. Um, and, you know, Tom Brady being the oldest guy to win a Super Bowl. I mean, the 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 or if, you know, if he was to lose this game, he'd be tied with Jim Kelly for the most Super Bowl losses. I mean, there are multitudes through all of this sort of stuff going on as we head into Super Bowl three in Atlanta. We are very excited here on GM Street to to watch and to discuss and to break it all down and see what happens. Uh, Lombardi, last thought before we get out of here and watch Tom Brady and Bill Belichick take on uh, the young Gohard, the young Rams with Sean McVay and uh, Jared Goff and Gurley. I would not peak too soon, Tate Frazier, but I'm looking forward to spending some time here in Vegas, hanging out and uh, enjoying the game. I think this will be a fun time and I enjoy GM Street with you. You know that. Always, always. This has been another edition of GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. We appreciate everyone listening and we hope you enjoy Super Bowl 53 on Sunday. Thanks again to Cavo. Clean up your remote control clutter in time for the Super Bowl with Control Center by Cavo. With one universal voice remote, just say what you want to watch and Control Center will take you straight there so you can finally get off AV duty and bring the joy back to watching TV. Shop now just in time for Super Bowl Sunday and get 40% off Control Center with promo code NFL. Control Center is available at caavo.com and Best Buy, Control Center by Cavo. One remote that does it all.